You're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense with your host, Doug Thorpe. Here's Doug. Well, hello again, everyone. This is Doug Thorpe, and you're listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense. We're the show that tries to help you as a business owner or business leader find other things to help you with your leadership impact and effectiveness. And today, my guest is going to join me, and we're going to take a walk down an interesting subject that frequently comes up in the coaching world or the so-called leadership development space The fundamental question is, are leaders born or made? And uh, some say born or bred. And it is a discussion that has raged for a long time, uh, most of my life that I know of. And um, his name, my guest, is Russell Heath. Russell, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks, Doug, for inviting me. I'm glad to be here. Good to have you here. And Russell himself has an interesting journey uh, to get to where he is as an executive coach. Uh, Russell, it is a little bit of a tradition on the show here for my guests to explain a little bit of their backstory and their experiences uh, shaping them to where they are today. Uh, what is your story? Um, it's not a straight story. So the the crooked, the short but crooked story is that at a very early age, in my early 20s, I was actually in Tel Aviv at the time. I just spent seven months in Africa. I decided that I did not want a career and I did not want to go the traditional route, but I needed something to support myself. So I went into data processing and I spent a number of years there. And it, was, it wasn't my passion, but I, I learned a lot from it, certainly how to be analytical and work through a problem. But in any case, I've been around the world twice, once over land, once I had a little sailboat, a 25-foot sailboat that I sailed around the world by myself. I've um, you know, written a couple of novels. I've, I went back to, to school in my, my 40s and uh, uh, get a master's in English. And that was specifically to kind of get, to distill the wisdom out of the culture, to learn more about who we all were. And um, it was really in my in my activist year, I was running activist organizations in Alaska. I was an executive director there. And I discovered that I was the limiting factor. I was what limited what my organization could do. It wasn't the amount of resources. It wasn't the bad guys. It wasn't the circumstances. I was the limiting factor. And what I also discovered is that leadership is not really about skills. It is a little bit. It's mostly about who you are. Who you are is how you lead. And there are some, some things about you that are disempowering, that don't work, that don't can't produce the results you want to produce, that shows up in your leadership. So it was in 2010 that I said, enough of this. I want to be a better leader. I left Alaska, went to New York City, dug into leadership coaching as the coachee. So I hired coaches to work with me to develop my leadership. At the same time, I was unable to find work in New York City. So I decided I had to go working for myself. And at that point, I became, I decided to become a coach and I went and got formal training and I've been a, a leadership coach ever since. That is a, a very fascinating journey. And, and to be honest, I'm, I'm going to um, anticipate that there will be people that will hear this and go, what do you mean? How in the world can you be a coach if you've, you know, essentially call it never played the game, you know, if, if you weren't in 
real leadership positions other than your executive directorship, which is, is certainly an amazing and, and very real leadership challenge. And, and maybe I'm answering my own question here. Maybe that's enough to, to prime the pump and, and get that thought process going. Um, but but I, I do want to camp out on what you said. I, I think, you know, leadership does become a, a very internal game that needs to be played with the individual first. It, it's kind of some people popularly refer to it as lead yourself before you think about leading others. And part of that leading self is knowing self and being self-aware enough to admit that there might be some gaps or weaknesses that need to be overcome. There might be some habits that are less than productive for others around you, etc. So um, that that self-reflection is a is a powerful tool. Sounds like you kind of did it in spades with some very intentional effort there for a period of time. Yeah. A couple of things you said that I just want to respond to the one of the one of the one of the metaphors, you know, we, we think of a of an executive coach also being like a sports coach, a football coach. So a football coach knows the ins and outs of the game or what we say, the content. But that's not what an executive coach does. An executive coach doesn't need to have been an executive to be an executive coach, because my expertise is not in the content. As a. Uh, baseball coaches. My expertise is in how people relate to themselves, as you said, the self-awareness, and how they relate to the content. And I don't care who comes to me, whether it's a doctor or a dishwasher or a, a, a leader, how they relate to the content is where I zero in. And that's my expertise. And that's what makes the difference, right? You come as an expert, I don't need to step into that field. That's a consultant that comes and tells you how to run your business. I had I work with you so that you run yourself better. I, I happen to agree with you, and I like the way you framed that and, and stated it. It it is not about the the subject matter because you're right. That's where consultants and subject matter experts show up with business leaders to help. Uh, power through a challenge that may be there, but in the leadership arena, it it is a blend of art and science, is the way I like to say it. And when you delve into the realms of what you might call the art side of leadership, we do use words like style and and framework and structure to think about leadership practices, leadership principles that one may want to adopt or improve upon. I mean, again, everybody shows up to the game with a little bit different presence, a little bit different toolkit. And the question is, leverage what you've got that is already strong, but figure out where the gaps may be and what the need may be for the team you're leading and decide and work on ways to fill those gaps. Yeah, nice, you know, the gaps. But let me go back to toolkit because I want to make a, a, something really clear. There's a difference between skills. So somebody may have a good skill. They may be really good at, at um, doing staff work plans, for instance. All right, that's a skill. You can learn it from a book. 
You can transfer it to somebody else. But the real toolkit that I work on is not those kind of skills, not book learning skills. The toolkit is people's behaviors. How you behave is how you interact with the world, how you engage the world. And some people have effective and resourceful behaviors and other people don't. Give you an example. I'm working with a woman who is head of a of the of the um, product product team in a major tech company. All right. One of the things that gets in her way, one of the behaviors, is that she wants to be liked. So if she wants to be liked by her staff or by her superiors, she pulls her punches. She doesn't hold her team accountable. She doesn't know how to communicate with them on difficult things. She gets upset when it looks like somebody else is disrespecting her. So those that's a behavior that is not effective for her. So what we're working on to develop a behavior is where she can put her need to be alike to the side, work with someone in a really constructive way to get the results she wants. Right. That's how she's developing her own power in this case. And it's been really extraordinary. In the year that I worked with her, she's been able to produce far more with her team than it could before. But she's added to her toolkit. Well, she took one bad tool and put it out of the toolkit and brought another one in. Right. Which is being assertive, being straight, not not being um, traduced, not being not having the rug pulled out from under her by her need to be liked. Yeah. Well, that's a that's a very powerful example and, and a good point. And I again I agree with you on that on that principle that the and I like to talk with my clients about the idea and the fundamental question of how do you think you show up as the leader of your group or team? And I, I like the way the uh, folks at Hogan, uh, the creator of the Hogan assessment, I like what they do in the profiling space. There, there is a, a fundamental principle in their teaching that says we all, in a leadership role, and I guess technically in, in being a human out in the world role, you've, you've got two forces that are competing. One is your own identity and that's kind of the proverbial story you tell yourself when you're looking in the mirror you know you you might have a self-talk could be positive could be negative you know some people struggle with the idea they were told growing up that they weren't smart enough weren't pretty enough weren't fast enough so there's a lot of limiting beliefs going on but but they might also have a statement of value and belief as they look out at the world. They may look in the mirror and say, well, I'm a reasonable, rational human being. I, I respect others. I'm, I've, I've got high integrity, blah, blah, blah. I mean, the list could go on and on. But that's our identity, as Hogan calls it. But then there is our reputation, and that's the statement of who we are in the eyes of everyone else. And when we go out in the world and we interact, even though we may have really great motives and values internally, to your point, the way we communicate those, the way we demonstrate those, the way we express those aren't necessarily received at the same level of value that we have conjured up in our mind. Others call them something else or or value them in a different way and that's the reputation we create so as a leader one 
way to look at it is the challenge is to align your identity with your reputation and be sure that when feedback tells you your reputation is suffering because of X, Y, and Z, if that doesn't align with your sense of values and beliefs, that's where you can do the work with a coach to figure out how do I get better alignment of that. That's an interesting approach. I, I usually don't work that way. I'm I usually focus on are you getting the results you want? So you may not be getting the results you want, say, in your team because your identity and your reputation are out of alignment. You think you're a Superman and everybody else thinks you're a jerk, right? You got some problems there, but it shows up generally in the results that you're getting. And then we work backwards from there. So why are you getting these results and not those results? What's in the, what's in the way? Yeah. Well, I, I, fair point. I think that's the logical extension of it. When there is that misalignment, you, you have your own internal expectation and plan and vision of where you want to go. And if you're not getting there and not getting those results, I, I agree with you totally. That's, that's where the, the questions need to be asked. Well, okay, where are we misaligned? What's off cue? And what, what are we needing to adjust and correct? to get those other results in, 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 in beginning that work with a new client, what, what sort of steps do you go through with a client to sort of tee that up and, and open up that discussion about those opportunities? Yeah, good, good question. So most of my clients come to me because, um, there's some disaster, there's blood all over the floor, you know, they didn't get what they want. They're upset, whatever. Um, it's it's great, but rare when somebody comes to me and says, hey, I'm here, I want to be there, and I want to build on that. But um, some disaster. So I just sit down for the first couple of sessions when we work together. We really look at what are the results you want to be, you want to produce. Where do you want to be a year from now? Where do you want to be five years from now? All right. And people tend to think in terms of external goals or at external achievements, which is great. As a coach, then I'm starting to think, okay, what needs to develop in this person so that they can achieve these results? Okay. It's, it's often that somebody comes to me and they don't think they're capable of achieving these particular results. I'm not capable of moving into the corner office. I'm not capable of doubling my sales, um, my sales uh, numbers every month, right? And that's fine, but you, you mentioned limiting belief. All right, we want to take a look. What are the beliefs there that are being limited? Or what are the behaviors that are missing that if they added those behaviors, they develop those behaviors in that person could achieve these results, which they now think are impossible or out of their reach. So anyway, it's a survey, first couple of sessions, a survey of, of what it is they'd like to accomplish while working with a coach. Well, wrapped into all that, you 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 made a statement. I, I, I don't recall your exact words, but uh, that idea of I'm, you know I'm not worthy of the corner office or everything that is often referred to as imposter syndrome. Somebody gets promoted up to a new level when they take the seat. They're looking around. They're they're making a self judgment about expectation and their ability. And that's often we we hear people talking about fake it till you make it and, and popular phrases like that. 
Talk to us a little bit about some of those themes, both the imposter syndrome and the fake it till you make it idea. <laughs> well, the imposter syndrome, which is all part of the zeitgeist right now. I mean, it seems like everybody has a has imposter syndrome, but imposter syndrome is part of what we call in ontological coaching, your master assessment. So uh, your master assessment is how you understand yourself. What is your assessment of you, right? So that I don't belong here, I'm not good enough to be here is one type of master assessment. There are others, and you mentioned them earlier. I'm not pretty enough, I'm not thin enough, I'm not worthy, I'm not lovable. Those are all ways that we kind of <clears throat> tend to see ourselves at some variation of something's not right with me or something is wrong with me. There's some variation and that's always self-sabotaging. So one of the first things I do as a coach is start looking at just listening to what the client is saying to see what their self-assessment is. Sometimes people come with really resourceful and healthy self-assessments. Others don't. The imposter syndrome is a classic one or I'm not good enough is a classic one with high performing people people who measure their self-worth based on their performance, right? And as you noted, that starts at grade zero, right? You're in, in our world, meritocracy, we're rated on our performance, we're evaluated on our performance. So we think our self-worth is tied to our performance. So very quickly, if somebody has a self-assessment that is self-sabotaging or is not resourceful, it doesn't move them forward, right? We distinguish it. We distinguish all the different strategies that you have developed, right, to manage the self-assessment. A classic one is perfectionism. People have to be perfect. If you think your your um, self worth is dependent on your performance, well, then you need to be perfect. And we look at so we look at all those strategies, then we look at the cost of those strategies. And that's not something people really look at, but there's a real tremendous cost to something like perfectionism, or there's a real tremendous cost trying to hide your sense of, of inability or imposter syndrome from other people. You know, that's an inauthenticity. So there's a great cost. And then what we do is we, we don't do affirmations. I don't think those work. But what, what we do is we start looking at how to manage that self-assessment how to know when you're in the in the grip of it, how to put it to the side and to choose another action, another action that is not driven by that self-assessment, but is an action that, that moves you towards the results you want. So that can be a long process because you have a lifetime of living with that self-assessment. It's not like all the synapses are going to rewire overnight, but it's certainly doable. Um, the woman I mentioned earlier who wanted to be liked, right? Her self-assessment was clearly, I'm not good enough high performer. That's what you'd expect. And now that no longer drives her. She's able to put that to the side so she can be more powerful and effective. Yeah. Similarly, I've, I've told the story of a gentleman I was coaching. He was an executive and he had been named the heir apparent to be a department head at a large uh, national bank. And it was a, a longer term succession plan that was in play. The uh, senior executive he reported to had declared a retirement two years out and they were they made the moves to bring 
my person in as as the shadow for two years and and really embraced the running of the department. So he did all that, and I, I picked him up. I was asked to help him kind of midpoint in all of that. So we had about a year working together leading up to this. And then the event happened. The older gentleman retired and moved on and, you know, packed up his box and physically, literally moved out of the office. My guy moved in. And the very next session I had with him, I said, how's everything going? And he said, Doug, you wouldn't believe it. He said, I am overwhelmed by my imposter syndrome. <laughs> yeah. And I said, how in the world could that have happened? <laughs> you have been doing the job for two years. And now how has that happened? He said, I don't know. That's what I'm asking myself. He said, now that my name is the one on the door, he said, I feel like all the expectations have changed and all of the demands are different. And it truly is my name on the bottom line. And now I feel like an imposter. So we obviously had some work to do for the next couple of sessions to kind of bust through that particular limiting belief. And it, it ultimately was all about the stories he started telling himself. <laughs> and uh, often when I have clients that are suffering with that, I usually ask them and challenge them with the question, okay, what if that's true? What if you are found out and challenged and somebody actually confronts you with a statement like, you're not the right guy here, you're, you're, you know, you failed over here on this transaction or, or whatever. I said, I like your word. What is the cost? What is the consequence? What is the outcome if that was true? And inevitably, when we work through the literal, practical answers to that question, they realize that's eh, not so bad. It's really not the end of the world. It's not going to be the ultimate disaster. And eventually they get to the conclusion, nobody's going to ask me that. that that's not going to be the question. <laughs> So it it kind of helps them, uh, you know, bust through that that ghost uh, having it. We're, we're filming this, folks, the day after Halloween. So I'll, I'll use the word ghost, you know, the ghost that they're chasing uh, with this limiting belief. Make a, a really good point there. You know, the stories that we tell ourselves, because that's ultimately all they are, but that's how we construct our reality, our understanding of the world, our understanding of ourselves and of other people. It's all constructed through a conversation that we're having with ourselves. And there's other stuff as well, but it's, it's that conversation that we as coaches work with. And the real power becomes, you know, when somebody's really effective in the world is being able to identify their own stories evaluate them, whether they're supporting or not supporting them. And if they're not supporting, to change the stories. I mean, that's the essence of power and effectiveness. Right, right. <clears throat> I, I have shared a, a personal story on, on this show a couple of times um, and uh, give an example. When I was going through graduate school, which I did shortly after my undergraduate, uh, but I was doing it while I was on my first duty station in the Army. I was going to night school, get an MBA. 
when it was all said and done, my university required uh, the trifecta. We had to write a paper, we had to take a comprehensive exam, and we had to sit for orals. That was all three part of the program. So got through all of that fine, and the final event was the orals, and there was a three-man panel, and this being a business program, one of the gentlemen on the panel was a finance prof, and I struggled with him on the panel. I, number one, he had a very deep, deep drawl Southern accent that even myself being a Texan, I couldn't understand half of what he said most of the time. I was constantly needing to ask him to repeat his question, and that really frustrated him. It was obvious. Long story short, it was all over. He voted no on confirming my, conferring my degree. But he was trumped by the other panelists, so I got my, it was a two out of three vote is all you needed, and, and they all agreed. But what he said to me going out the door, he said, I will agree to vote yes if you make me one promise. I said, what's that? And he said, you have to promise me you never take a job in the U.S. banking system. I said, what? <laughs> That's, that's pretty audacious. You know, how in the world could you get me to pledge to do that? He said, I have a personal fundamental belief. You have no concept of the principles of finance we've tried to teach you, and, and therefore you should not impact our banking system. I said, okay, got it, fine, whatever. I knew it was not a binding contract by any way, but I moved on, and, and guess what? Two years later, my first civilian job out of the Army was working for a bank, and I had a 20-year career there. And I went on with continued consulting in that space. I've, I've done work with the FDIC, and by all accounts, very important and valuable work. And uh, I think back on him, and I, I just want to know, I, I know he's long since passed, but I think to myself, you know, that was a limiting belief he gave me that was clearly not particularly true. And, you know, we had just had a moment in time where we did not sink, no doubt about that, but that wasn't a measure of what I really knew about the subject matter. No, and as a coach, right, I'm speculating here, but as a coach, I would ask him how much of that dig at you was the result of you not being able to understand him right so he didn't have the presence of mind to know that he was feeling disrespected because he couldn't understand because you couldn't understand him right right yeah very fair well richard i tell you what man or i'm sorry russell um <clears throat> we have run out of time here i i've, I've myself have been a bit enthralled by the discussion i, I think it's been very meaningful and important Key question is, tell folks how they best could get a hold of you if they're interested in knowing more. Yes, thank you. So I have a website, russellheath.net. And if you Google Russell Heath Leadership Coach or Russell Heath Coach, I usually pop up, you know, depending on Google's algorithms of the day. Um, and I'd like to offer your listeners, you know, if they do come and want to improve their leadership to, to transform their leadership. I'd be glad to work with them and I'll offer anyone bearing your name a 10% off the first three months of our work together. Very nice. Well, thank you for that. And folks, as always, we'll have that link information in our show notes. So you, you definitely can uh, hop down and, and grab that. But one last time, Russell, thank you for sitting in my friend. Hey, thank you. I appreciate it. Good, good conversation. Yep. 
And with that, folks, we're going to sign off, say goodbye. I'd like to remind you that if you're listening on your favorite streaming channel, we do have a video version of this over on YouTube, channel by the same name, Leadership Powered by Common Sense. Hop over there, leave us a note, leave us some feedback, and we would love to hear from you. For now, we're going to say goodbye. Go out there, make it a great day. You've been listening to Leadership Powered by Common Sense, hosted by Doug Thorpe. If you would like to know more about the coaching and advisory services he provides, visit DougThorpe.com.